Have you ever felt honoured to work for someone? When I was a school teacher, it was a pleasure for me to be underneath my head teacher. He was an organised man, clear-minded, decisive, selfless, helpful. It was an honour to be on his staff. Uh, The West Wing is a TV program about the West Wing of the White House from which the President and his staff run the United States. And I love the program. I love the West Wing, mainly for the character of the President. In the show, he's a very smart sure and decisive man. He has the ability to see right to the heart of a problem. Uh, Whenever he's given a variety of solutions, he knows which is the best one to choose. He's the type of man you would love to work for. You have complete confidence in his uh, decisions. You know the direction you're going. You know what you're meant to be doing. In one of the episodes, one of his staff is told that it must be an honour to serve a president like this. And she agrees. It is an honour to serve under someone like that. Now this morning we're looking at the greatest person ever to serve under and not just looking at some fictitious president of the United States, we're thinking about the president of the universe. We're up to Colossians 1 and verse 15 and it's a part of the Bible that tells us who Jesus is. Now it has lots to say and we don't have time to look at it all but the bottom line for us today is that Jesus is the ruler of everything. And he's good. He's always in control. He is always right. And he's always good. So it is an honour to serve under the Lord Jesus. The verses we're looking at, they fall into two halves. And uh, the, the description of Jesus that they give us start at a dizzying height, which is really quite amazing because as we read on, it just keeps climbing higher and higher. The first half is all about Jesus being the ruler over this creation the world that we live in, the universe we exist in. Jesus is the Lord and ruler of it all. We're up to verse, have a look at verse 15. And it speaks of Jesus in this way. Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now we're going to pick up on that second description there of Jesus, where he's called the firstborn over all creation. Now I'm the first to admit that that's a bit of a strange title. Uh, It's a bit like calling your wife pumpkin. Why would you do that? My wife doesn't look like a pumpkin. I wouldn't call her pumpkin. Why Why would you call Jesus the firstborn from among the dead? Well, it's because in the Bible, being the firstborn is to be the ruler. It's to have the first place of authority. So when it describes Jesus as the firstborn over all creation, it just means that he's the ruler over all creation. He's in charge of the entire universe. Jesus tells the stars in space what to do. He's the one that sends Halley's Comet every 76 years. He determines the destiny of nations here on earth. And why is Jesus the ruler over all creation? Because he made it. He was there when everything was created. He fashioned the universe. But not only were all things made by him, they were made for him. Everything has its meaning and its purpose in Christ. He's the reason everything was made. He made everything for himself. Verse 16, have a look, verse 16. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. And so of course Jesus is the ruler over all creation because he made it for himself. 
The Lord Jesus owns and rules everything. When I was at school, I was hopeless at uh, woodwork and all those practical subjects. So the things I made weren't any good, but the things I made were mine. Uh, I made them, so I owned them. Now, there was never any contest uh, about who owned the things I made, and no one ever tried to steal my creations from me because, well, quite frankly, they weren't any good. But nevertheless, what I made was made for me. I made it and I owned it. Now, Jesus can say that of the entire universe. The Lord Jesus can say, I made the Milky Way and I own it. Now, that's a great reality check when we come to think about ourselves and our children, if we have them, and grandchildren. Christ Jesus made us all for himself. The purpose of our existence is to serve the Lord Jesus because he owns us. We don't have a life of our own. The rock singer Bon Jovi has a song out there called It's My Life. But he's horribly wrong. It is not his life. It's not your life. It is not yours. We do not have a life of our own. We belong to Jesus for he made us for himself. But not only did the Lord Jesus make all things, Christ Jesus also keeps everything going. He holds it all together. If he didn't, the universe itself would disintegrate. Have a look at verse 17. Verse 17. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. What it's saying here is that if it wasn't for Christ, our hearts would stop beating. He holds all things together. So if it wasn't for the Lord Jesus, the stars in space would collapse in on each other. The earth would go too close or too far away from the sun and life wouldn't be possible. If it wasn't for Jesus, the walls that we're looking at right now would fall down. The air around us would become poisonous. The skin around our bodies wouldn't hold our bodies together. Our bones would turn to mush. The very ground that we're on would fall beneath our feet. If it wasn't for Jesus holding everything together, well, life wouldn't be possible. He made it all for himself and he keeps it going. Christ Jesus is the ruler over all creation. But not only that, he's not just the image of God, the creator and sustainer of all things, but he's also the ruler over the new creation. There's another creation to come. The Bible plainly speaks of life after death and in that life, well, Jesus reigns supreme there too. You can't escape his rule. Whether you're alive or dead, he is the Lord. In the next verse, Jesus is described as the firstborn from among the dead. And remember, firstborn just means um, the ruler. And so to call Jesus the firstborn from among the dead just means that he is the ruler in the life to come after death. In the new creation, Jesus is Lord. Have a look at verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. So whether you're talking about this creation or the next creation, whether you're talking about this life or the life to come, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Jesus is Lord. In everything, Christ has the supremacy. Jesus is Lord. At his feet you fall. And look, if this wasn't enough, if we haven't scaled some dizzying heights already, there's yet another altitude for us to reach. 
Because if Jesus is the image of God, the one who made everything, the one who now rules over all things in this creation and in the creation to come, who can he be but God himself? A man, yes, but God at the same time. God become a man. Jesus is Lord because he's God himself. Have a look at verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. All of God's fullness dwelt in Christ. The man, Jesus, who came from this hillbilly town called Nazareth, is at the same time God himself. Now, if you think this sounds a bit strange to our ears, spare a thought, won't you, for the Colossians, who first read this letter, they lived within a generation of the well-known event of the crucifixion of this Jesus from Nazareth. This Jesus was humiliated, scorned, beaten, tortured, killed. For all the world, he did not look like God eternal with all power and authority. He did not look like the firstborn over all creation. And yet, it is in his cross that Jesus is most glorious. Here we come to the end of this atmospheric description of Jesus. Here we almost run out of breath, gasping, trying to catch up with his breathtaking picture because it is through his death that Jesus is most supremely the Lord because at his cross all his enemies are defeated. At the death of Christ all the enemies of God are given their marching orders. In his death Jesus has brought all things back to their rightful place under his rule. Have a look at verse 19 again. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Through Christ's death, all things have been reconciled to God. Now, reconciliation is a familiar idea to us. Um, People that have arguments, they need to be reconciled to one another. And there's also the idea that uh, things that contradict one another need to be reconciled. So someone who says one thing but does another, well, they need to reconcile what they say to what they do. For example, the person that says that they love punctuality but is always running late, well, they need to reconcile that. That's a contradiction. Contradictions need to be reconciled. Well, that's what Jesus has done in his death. He has reconciled a cosmic contradiction. He alone is Lord. But there's a whole lot of people and powers out there who fight against him. Christ Jesus has enemies that refuse to come under his rule and that's a contradiction because Jesus alone is Lord of everything and everyone. And so his enemies need to be reconciled to him. They need to be brought under his rule. And what we're told here is that he's done it in his death, defeated all his enemies, reconciled them to himself by bringing them under his rule. Now, by reconciled, it doesn't mean that everything and everyone is now friends with God. The rest of the Bible tells us that that plainly, and we know it ourselves. There's still plenty of opposition to God out there, but everything has been reconciled to God in the sense that all the enemies of God have suffered their ultimate defeat at the hands of God, at Christ's death. All things now exist under the rule of the Lord Jesus. So the peace that Jesus offers between us and God, well, that can either be accepted or imposed. 
you can either bend the knee willingly or be forced. For Jesus is the undisputed ruler of all things and one day his rule will be unchallenged when Christ returns to judge even those who want to oppose him won't be able to. No one will be able to refuse God. No one will be able to resist the rule of the Lord Jesus. Everything and everyone will do exactly as he says. Like it or not. Now all this talk about Jesus being the Lord might be making you feel a bit uncomfortable. Because if this is who Jesus is, then you just can't pay him mere lip service. You can't expect him to be happy with a token effort of being nice. He's God, the Lord and ruler of all things. And, well, you know that you haven't treated him right. You haven't even come close. You wouldn't really describe your life as being for Jesus. It's not like we spend every waking moment of our lives trying to please him, but he owns you. And with all his power and authority, you wouldn't want to offend him. But you know you already have. God has some good news for you. You can be reconciled to the ruler now on good terms. You can willingly submit to Christ now before it's too late, before he comes again to judge. For judgment day is coming, but you can be reconciled to God now on good terms. There's hope. You can front up before God and have no accusations laid against you. In the next few verses, it goes on to describe people who have been reconciled to God on good terms. I'm going to read those verses out. And as I do, I want you to think about whether you would like this description to be true of you. I'm reading from verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. But now... He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. Would you like those words to be true of you? Do you catch the wonderful hope that's held out to us in the gospel that by Christ's death, all of our wrongs can be done away with? That every time we've offended God or ignored him or rejected him, Jesus Christ has the authority to take it all away. We can be reconciled to God by trusting in Christ. Even though it meant that Christ had to die, he did it. It is amazing love that is coming from the Lord Jesus. We can be forgiven and look forward to eternal life in heaven. We can be presented before God himself free from accusation welcomed into heaven this is the hope held out to us in jesus christ this is what is given to those who trust in jesus christ as their lord and live with him as their lord treating him with the reverence that he deserves as the lord and savior what does a life like that look like what does it what does it mean to live with jesus as your lord if you're sitting here this morning and you're not christian you need to know You need to know what that means before you submit to Jesus. You need to know what you're signing up for. And if you're here this morning and you are a Christian, well, we need to hear this again, don't we? We need to be reminded, what does it mean to live with Jesus as our Lord? So let's flip across quickly to chapter 3 and verse 1. Chapter 3, verse 1. Here we're reminded again of the majesty of Jesus Christ, that he sits at the right hand of God with all the power and authority of God because he is God. And for those of us who want to honour him rightly, 
What we're about to read is how we're to approach every moment of our life. This is Christian living. Chapter 3, verse 1. Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Set your heart on things above. Set your mind on things above. The Lord Jesus is not saying here, well, it'd be nice if you could think of me occasionally. He's not saying, oh, look, make sure you go to church at Christmas and Easter and if you manage to squeeze a few in between then, that'd be, that'd be great. He's not saying, oh, look, as, as long as you say a quick prayer when you get up in the morning and before you go to bed, that, that'd be okay. No, the Lord Jesus is saying to his people, set your mind on me. Set your heart on me. I am your life. I am your God. And before we start to think that Jesus is going on some ego trip, we need to remember that, well, actually, he is God. He has every right to say this. And on top of that, he's the one who would die to reconcile people to God. He would even take the place of sinners, suffer their punishment, and then come back to life, able to offer forgiveness, able to offer eternal life in heaven, to surrender to the Lord Jesus. Well, that's the best thing you could do with your life. He clearly has our best interests at heart. And next week we're going to think about what that looks like in practical terms. But the bottom line for us today is that Jesus Christ is Lord. God himself in charge of all. And so he deserves our all. Every moment of our lives devoted to him. So let's live gladly under the rule of the Lord Jesus. Enjoy his forgiveness. Enjoy him making you right with God. Rest in the certainty of life eternal in heaven that comes through him. Gladly obey him. Because Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's pray.